Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. What's up, everyone? Evan Lewis here with another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. On this episode, I'm joined by Kyle Norton, Director of Inside Sales at Vision Critical. Kyle's a badass salesman and an amazing entrepreneur. He's got a really interesting background from running his own MMA gym to now building and running a sales team at Vision Critical. There's a lot of really good lessons in here, especially for anyone interested in sales and technology. So listen up and enjoy. Kyle, just you know, for our listeners who don't know you too well, I'd love if you could give a little bit of background on you know, kind of your history, where you went to school, that type of thing. So, born and raised Vancouverite, now living in Toronto uh, via Queen's University. Went to business school there, uh, seemed like the thing to do at the time and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Fell into sales uh, serendipitously and never really looked back. It's been my passion ever since. I love everything about sales, talking about sales, selling, sales leadership management. It's, It's just the thing that above all else I love to do. Uh, entrepreneurship also is you know, a fun thing for me and, and building and creating uh, is always is always a, a passion of mine no matter where, where it is. For sure. So one of your like early jobs, I guess, like right out of school was with World Trade, World Trade Group. And I know that, you know, I know a bunch of buddies who have worked for that company and they're notorious for a very hardcore sales environment, right? So if you could maybe just talk a little bit about that experience and what you learned there just kind of being in the trenches um, selling. Yeah, so like I mentioned, didn't really know what I wanted to do out of school, wasn't particularly interested in school at the time, and uh, <laughs> somebody else actually went for an inter- one of my good friends, Justin, interviewed with World Trade Group and came back afterwards, and he said, oh, I met this company, and you know they're looking for competitive, like hard-headed people, <laughs> and uh, I'm the type of guy that's hard to play video or hard to play board games with is (laughs) I'll get way too serious about Monopoly and that was one of the things they said in in the interview process that they look for yeah so he actually told me to go interview with these guys and you know they painted the picture you make 100 grand in your first year and this and that and get promoted really fast and everything just spoke to me because it wasn't uh, I was never really keen on working for a huge CPG and climbing the ladder slowly I just wanted to go do something a little bit more free-flowing. So, uh, yeah, hard selling environment. And there's a reason they're looking for, you know, fairly stubborn people because it's, it's not a particularly differentiated product. Mm-hmm. There's tons of companies in that event space. I was selling events, attendance, and sponsorship, and uh, all those companies are relatively the same. They do similar types of events, similar speaker lineups, so there's no differentiation. Yep. It's not like selling a... a IT solution or a tech solution where it's unique and solves business challenge. Everybody's doing it. They're all the same. The only thing that you're going off of is your own sales hustle. Yep. So how well can you persuade and influence somebody on a on a one to one level? So it was a crazy grind. Just picking up the phone and making 150 calls every single day, putting a ton of stuff into the funnel because the reputation of the company wasn't great. So lots yep. of stuff didn't close or wasn't particularly important for them and hardcore urgency and hardcore closing uh and for me as a salesperson now being in an environment where i'm running 
you know, training people in an enterprise SaaS group, obviously very different, but mm -hmm. those skills translate anywhere because you just understand how to communicate to people, how to speak, how to persuade on a one-to-one -one level. And now I have an amazing product that we're, we're selling. So selling's a lot more fun these days, that's for sure. <laughs> so break that down for me, like in terms of the best lessons you learned on cold calling, like you get someone on the phone, the, you don't have a differentiated product, you're, you, know, you don't know them whatsoever. What's kind of your approach and your style to, you know, to get that hook in and get them excited? So I'd say going a level up from that, what the biggest takeaways are is learn how to influence from people who are better at it than you are. So reading, like, uh, that was the biggest thing that gave me the skills. There was a lot of really good salespeople in that organization, yep. and I bugged the crap out of every single one of them and asked yep. them a million questions and, and had no fear of just like leaving my desk, going and sitting next to somebody, listening to them pitch, writing things down, reading a ton. So anytime you're trying to get good in sales yep. at the beginning, reading is the big thing. Yep. A lot of it is just testing. Yep. It's just trying out different types of messaging, different approaches. You know, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, you know, I never ask somebody, how are you doing? in a sales call. I never say, you know, it's Kyle Norton from Vision Critical, how are you doing today? I personally say that every time. Yeah, me too. But then you hear people say, you know, the first question you should ask is, do you have a second? And for some people it works great, for some people it doesn't, so it's all about testing and iteration. I think that was a big uh, early lesson learned is yep. I needed to figure out what pieces I needed to put together to, to make things work for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so going back a little bit closer to your question, like how do you engage somebody's interest? So how I teach my guys now and how I've always sort of related it is, it's like those video games you play as a kid, those racing games. And you have to hit a checkpoint and then you get another 15 <laughs> seconds, you gotta race to the next checkpoint. And I call it checkpoint selling to, to my guys here. <laughs> and it's a great way to look at it because the first thing you need to do to hit that first checkpoint to give you five seconds is have a, a good tonality intonation yep. Yep. gravitas that, that I always call it so you need to first have a, a nice voice for the phone and not be on a call Johnny sales pitch hey how you doing it's Kyle Norton yep. uh, and then you have to create some instant credibility I'm working with these this scene this uh, company that's well respected in the space or this company that's a direct competitor so you're name dropping to build credibility yep relevance to tell him a little bit about how you know what's a challenge in his industry and, and that's what you want to talk about mm -hmm. and then the third step that I that I really uh, teach in a, in a cold call script is intrigue it's more about it's not about feature function dump it's about creating a little bit of mystery and a little bit of intrigue to want to for the prospect to want to hear more Yep. And if you can say, I solved this complex business challenge and this company learned some really cool things in that process, I'd love to tell you about it. It's hard not to say yes to that. You know, if you can, if you can create some mystery around, well, how did you do that? That is really interesting. <laughs> so it's, it's credibility, relevance, intrigue is, is sort of the, the three checkpoints that I really talk about. And then on the front end of that is, is your gravitas, is actually buying yourself the first foot in the door, which is sounding like you're not Johnny sales pitch <laughs> or anything like that. So you mentioned that the products that you were selling at World Trade Group didn't have a lot of differentiation. So I'm curious as to what your approach was to, you know, make a sale and to get people excited about the product when you're 
actual offering isn't that much different from any of your competitors. I mean, the less than professional way is hustle and flow. <laughs> you know, you you have to really... It's charm, basically. Ask, I mean, yeah, that and you ask a lot of questions to people on other sales calls. Yep. So if you can learn... So say I was selling a manufacturing event. Yep. If you can learn something that people in manufacturing actually struggle with... Yep then you need to speak to that. Yep. So when I go into a call, when I'm trying to create relevance, that second step, yep. I need to know, I need to really know what is gonna sound relevant to that person's yep. role. Hey, I'm working on manufacturing excellence. Well, everybody is. That's a generic thing to say. What is something within that that is specific and gives you a little bit more punch just to make somebody stop and say, Actually, that is a topic that we are actively talking about and isn't overly discussed in yep. in academia or whatever it is. And then whether or not your event can really solve that challenge <laughs> that was the that was the bigger uh, you know stumbling block for 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 my time at World Trade Group. But if you can really understand the the either the pain or the greed to highlight very quickly to catch somebody's attention and, and stop them in their tracks a little bit, then you can buy yourself a little bit of extra time for that next checkpoint and then start a dialogue. And it's, it's as quickly as you can hit enough checkpoints to start comfortably asking questions, then I want to stop talking. Yep. I want to get into the process of not interrogating, not interviewing, but having a, a genuine curiosity to ask questions and uncover what's going on in this guy's world. What's yep. going, what are his business challenges? What are his personal pressures? And then how can I relate to those? Totally. Yeah, one of my biggest pieces of learning is just, I mean, my natural tendency is just to over-prepare, right? And that I find that's hugely important in sales, right? You do, you know, a ton of research. So going into the call, it's not being weird, but it's, you know a lot about what you've tried to put yourself in this guy's shoes, right? Yeah. And understand his pain points um, and kind of be a step ahead so that you can, and that's why they always say, like, you know, be able to teach the person something that they don't already know so that, yeah. you know, they can, um, you can kind of speak intelligently to what's going on in their situation. I do want to get into, uh, we're going to get into all of the kind of um, vision critical inside sales stuff. It's going to be, you know, it's really interesting to see how kind of social media has specifically changed, you know, the sales game in particular. You go from, you know, with your cold calling and you knew, you know, five or six years ago, you couldn't really find out a lot about that person. Now mm -hmm. they're on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook and you can learn everything about them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a it's a very different game these days. But one of the most interesting things that I want to dig into about your career is um, how you founded Open Mat, the MMA gym. So uh, I'd love if you could just you know talk about that experience, uh, you know, kind of from start to finish in terms of you know building that uh, that company. Yeah, I'm. I mean, a recurring theme is I've generally followed my passion. So. I got into sales and I absolutely fell in love with it and I've been doing that ever since and I'll probably sell my entire life. <laughs> yeah. And same thing with mixed martial arts. I started when I was 17 or 18 years old and that was all I wanted to do. It was like the mental chess game and individual competition that I felt like really made me into who I am as a, as a person and especially as a sales guy, being yep. able to you know, get beat up for months and years as you're building your skills and then still maintain focus and drive to want to get better that was you know a huge lesson from that and I wanted to really share that experience I, you know I still strongly believe if, if 
every kid should do two years of martial arts. Every kid should go through that experience or, or wrestling or whatever it is, yep. even if it's not uh, jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Because that, that uh, process of physically failing and being bad at something and getting not beaten up, but getting beat over a period of you know six months until you really have any aptitude at jiu-jitsu or wrestling is, is, like, is such an important uh, mentality building uh, skill, I think. Uh, and I wanted to share it. You know, I wanted to make everybody go through that. And, yep. and, and so uh, met my business partner, Elliot Baev, who's our head instructor uh, through a friend and basically everybody who had uh, bumped into in the mixed martial arts community had such great things to say about him. You know, he's one super nice guy, but has a really interesting philosophy on martial arts and believes in it. Is super passionate about it. So we met. It clicked. Really, it clicked right away. He wanted to do bigger things with the gym. I had a little bit of the business background because I, I was still only two years into my career, but had some business background mm-hmm. in terms of how to sell and influence, and that applied pretty readily to marketing to Obamat and. Mm-hmm. We opened up a 5,000 square foot space maybe six to 12 months after we got going on it. And, you know, as he likes to say, we kicked the ladder out. We just <laughs> pumped like every dollar we possibly had into it. And if it failed, it was going to fail spectacularly. But we were pretty confident that, you know, his message, his, his message and his passion for the sport would really resonate with uh, people in general and we were right on that, you know, people really responded to his style of teaching, he's you know, a really passionate, um, caring guy, he wants to see people learn, and yep. not just to learn to you know, fight or defend themselves, he wants to, people to learn and grow as people through martial arts. <laughs> so we, uh, we've been open since almost five years now, this downtown location, uh, we've got awesome group of people yep. uh, nice little business built for us and uh, yeah it's been you know, it's been a, it's a, you know, an amazing learning experience I, yeah. Yeah, as a business person I couldn't imagine growing any faster than owning your own business and figuring that out <laughs> yeah so I mean the the main point of this podcast obviously as you know is to talk to you know people like yourself who have been in the trenches building businesses right and I mean the whole inspiration for starting this was because I went through my you know first company with eProf and we made a ton of very critical mistakes that you know I look back on now as just amazing learning for you know building software companies going forward so uh, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about um, you know from a marketing perspective some of the best things you learned you just talking about you know building the website and kind of driving uh, traffic and all some of the different strategies you uh, you use so you know just walk us through a couple of those from a marketing perspective yeah I think the biggest thing that we had to figure out was how to get people in the door yeah so a lot of the traditional methods postering or word of mouth your business doesn't grow fast enough for you to survive right. so we made a commitment to learning how to market ourselves online very, very quickly. So, you know, I read copywriting books, and if you want to learn copywriting, read John Carlton. He's, he's the man there. Mm-hmm. Um, le- you know, learned how to build a website and drive traffic, and I taught myself how to do AdWords and SEO and all this all this good stuff. And yep. uh, it's, marketing's a, an interesting thing because 
my philosophy on it is it's very scientific in so many ways. It's so much about ad testing and measuring traffic and understanding response rates and click-throughs and all this. So it's it's very much a it's very much a uh, a science experiment and it's a machine that you're constantly tinkering. But at the same time, it's just about people. It's just about how to how to have a legitimate conversation with a real person on the other side so that they want to take action and actually show up at your academy. Mm-hmm. And so learning, so from the sales background, understanding how to persuade and influence and get people to, to buy into what you're saying, so to trust you first of all, yep. and then to take action on, on the message was a big part of it. And then the other thing that I learned from the marketing practice that I brought back to sales is that rigorous experimentation and A-B testing. And now, you know, fast forward four years, we've got systems and technologies and sales acceleration tools that help us do A-B testing. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's, that's <laughs> exciting. That's fun for me. <laughs> so in terms of uh, kind of that customer acquisition funnel, what did that look like? And I guess how did you guys optimize it? You mentioned you were using, you know, someone puts their email in uh, to request a little bit of information on the website and then yeah. you sent them like a series of drip emails to get them yeah. know, to, in the door. How did that work? So it's a pretty standard internet marketing approach. You drive traffic for your, drive traffic to your website through any number of means, whether it's social or pay-per-click or SEO. You give them an offer you offer to exchange something of value for their information so either you know you see in the in the tech world ebooks and webinars and all yep. this type of stuff an opt-in page we were offering a free 30-day trial yep. in exchange all we wanted was your email and your phone number and your name yep and we'll give you 30 days free and then especially for martial arts because it's an intimidating to, thing to do if you've never walked into a dojo, you never walked into an academy, and you realize, ah, it's actually not that scary. But there is a fear factor there. So how do I build trust over time? Because I only have that person's attention when he hits my website once, and now I have to push email or I need to push content to them somehow to make them trust in us, know that we're the service or product or academy that is the right choice for them and actually give them a call to action to pick up the phone and, and call us or come in or, or pick up our outgoing call. Yeah. So it's really just about driving traffic to your, to your site, converting those people and gaining their opt-in and then converting those people from passive, uh, passive consumers of content to somebody actively putting up their hand and saying, yeah, okay, I'm interested. And then converting that hand up to, in the door and converting that in the door to a sign up. And every part of that process has, you know, conversion metrics and tactics to, to make that happen more efficiently and constantly tweaking and, and adjusting the funnel. And then it all comes down to people. It's like, you know, how do you communicate with somebody that isn't communicating back and build that build that ramp of trust and rapport yeah. and bond to ultimately they say, okay, you know, these guys seem legit. Let's, let's go in for a trial. Were you guys pretty religious with kind of measuring your metrics and keeping track of that funnel? Or was that like, I, I asked that because with, uh, when I was doing EPROF, we didn't at the outset set up a lot of our analytics systems as properly yeah. as we should have and it's just a difficult thing to know like you're just trying to build a product that you, you think people will use but you don't you know you need to have those business intelligence you know metric or yeah. you know, analytics tools in place to keep track of that so did you guys 
do that over time or, you know, at the outset or how did that work? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty lucky because I went at this with a blank slate yep. and I like to read and learn. Yep. So before going and doing too much, I paused and went and read and listened to webinars and we went, flew down to the States for internet marketing seminar nice. and took the time to figure out what we were doing before we went and did it because so much of the time that happens. So yeah, when we set it up, we started with AdWords and our first website had Google Analytics. You know, having access to Google's tools is, is amazing. Yep. And so that was built straight from the beginning and uh, they make it, those tools make it so easy to see click through and conversion rates and uh, traffic and volume and all that stuff. So yeah, it was certainly baked into our entire approach, not because I'm, I paused and said, you know what, we should have <laughs> analytics, but it's just somebody smarter than me said, if you're building a website and you want to convert people to your business, this is how you go. In terms of the like foot traffic though, so you guys would just be, you know, keep a, a counter or whatever, like the, you know, over month over month, you know, amount of feet in the door, amount of, you know, conversions to, to paid, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not driving thousands of, right. of uh, hands raised every single month, so it's easier to keep keep track a little bit in a little simpler of a fashion. Yeah. We just had Google spreadsheets and stuff like that yeah. to, to aid, but, you know, out of, out of analytics, you know what's converting, what campaigns, what ad groups, what messaging is, is doing the best from the people that click through, then you know which ones are converting, you've got remarketing. So Google does so much of the hard work for you and then I just have to track, okay, of the people who actually convert, so 100, 200 a month, yep. pretty low volume all things considered, where then did where did they come from just in our sales tracking sheets because totally. we were not, we didn't use a sophisticated CRM or anything like that. What were some of the like the biggest kind of metric moving moves that you guys made to really you know get an influx of either signups or or conversions that type of thing? Well, the thing with Google is it changes so rapidly. So I think for us it was staying on top of how the algorithms were changing. Okay. Whether it's the panda update or the penguin update or whatever animal they chose to use. Mm -hmm. It was just staying current with what's going on because that's a dynamic industry. You know, when we first started, we were doing old school stuff. You know, you just want to flood backlinks to your to your site. You want to be as on blogs and posting on forums with your with your URL, and that all counted. And then now Google has swung so far the other way that backlinks almost don't count at all unless it's a it's an authority site, a newspaper or something with a lot of traffic, and they want to see fresh new content, and that's what the algorithm's really built on. So it's about understanding what they, what Google wants to see and really staying current with it. You know, is it, is it, what's your website built on? Is it HTML5? Is it secure? And I'm not as current with it anymore because I'm, I'm not doing it as actively. We've hired somebody, but yep. uh, certainly that's a big lesson learned. You know, I can say, like the first big thing was backlinking and being on every single directory, anything that will list our business, we went out and did. And I, in days, saw that ranking move up, and it was yep. like magic the first time <laughs> I saw it. And then, uh, but then the strategy is very different. A couple years later, it's different every six months. Every time Google does an update, you watch those SEO forums and people lose their minds. <laughs> so one of the things that's really interesting about your career and why I was excited to talk about Open Mat is because you've had kind of both experiences where you've worked in the software world, but you've also, you know, built a, a 
you know, good old fashioned brick and mortar business, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, for someone who's thinking about, um, who's interested in op- opening a, you know, a retail outlet or something like that, like what would be some of the best pieces of advice that you would give uh, that person um, if they're looking to start a, you know, a brick and mortar store or something like that? I think it's the same advice that I give to anybody starting a business or starting a career or starting to sell. It's learn from people who are way better at it than you are. Don't try to reinvent the wheel until you know how to build a nice little wheel from the instructions you've already been given and then venture up. So did you have a bunch of like people who had owned successful retail stores and stuff like that that you were just like picking their brain and uh, yeah. really digging into yeah yeah yeah. people who owned other mixed martial arts academies that was invaluable at the beginning and uh then just like so much google searching so (laughs) much you know so much yep researching before anything before i really did anything you know we're gonna write write website copy all right let's go look up how to write great website copy okay we're gonna uh you want to launch a mobile app go figure out how to launch a mobile app before you start trying to figure it out on your own there's so much information out there and and i find that even with young salespeople, they come in and uh, you give them great systems and they're like okay fantastic and then they reinvent the wheel yep and uh same as owning a brick and mortar store i think there's so much good information out there and there's so much help and support people that you can ask questions that are more than happy to help help you yeah if you're an entrepreneur if you're a business owner if you're whatever an executive you're passionate you'll probably be excited to help somebody do the same things because you see a bit of yourself in them and i would say the other big takeaway is just get ready for the grind (laughs) you know it's it's never easy and even if you have an amazing business plan just and you're saying to your investors your friends yeah these are our conservative numbers go take off another 25% and then see if you can make it happen or just get ready for that reality. And if you outperform your projections, then fantastic. You know, you've really done a great job, but just get ready for the ups and the downs and embrace, embrace the journey as cliche as that is to say, but embrace the journey and just, you know, keep working on it. Sell your ass off. (laughs) That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Just keep, you know, that's the thing with sales or entrepreneurship. There's always something you can do. Everything's within your control. And if, you got to put your you know, nose to the grindstone and make it happen. That's what you got to do. Totally. Yeah, that's why I got into sales right from, from EPROF. I was doing all the product, and we didn't we never, we never didn't sell well enough, and our business died, right? So, yeah. that's, um, so let's dive into the vision-critical stuff you're doing now because that's, you know, we've been living in pretty similar worlds for the last little while. I was, you know, I started inside sales. Now I'm uh, an AE, and you're now dive into a lot of really cool shit in the inside sales world, right? So yeah. um, I'd love if you could tell briefly tell the story of how you got into Vision Critical. That's a pretty cool hustle story. Yeah. And then uh, kind of what you know what that challenge has looked like um, you know, since you started. Yeah, so I wanted to get back into the corporate world. I, I missed selling more than anything <laughs> and decided to say, like, okay, let's pause and figure out what are the best possible places I could land at land in and was very um, methodical with how I approached this new job placement campaign for better 
for lack of a better term. Yeah. And so wrote out a list of you know top tech companies in Canada and companies that sold a certain deal volume because I didn't want to work you know two three year deal cycles in you know, mega enterprise, but it didn't want to do something transactional. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of other criteria that I was working with, and then vetted that list with a good friend who's in venture capital, and he said, you know, great management group. These guys have a really competitive industry and we know better companies in that space. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously tied into the, the technology sphere, so got awesome feedback from him. And then I had my list, had my hit list of five to 10 companies. Five that I really wanted to get at mm-hmm. and five that I you know, was gonna go after but wasn't as excited. And uh, basically just started cold calling people, cold calling and cold emailing people. So I called the EVP of sales here and uh, just asked him, it's it's sort of the Aaron Ross lost lamb approach, the predictable (laughs) revenue approach, and called him up and said, hey, look, I want to get into technology sales. I've never done it, but I believe in myself as a sales leader. Can you talk to me for 15 minutes? And conveniently enough, he was trying to teach, the company was trying to teach the lost lamb approach to people here and do a bunch of other stuff that that he thought was very, very familiar to my approach to him. And put me off for a couple of weeks and I called him again and he's like, okay, finally. So had a 15 minute call with him just to legitimately get some advice. It wasn't just to get in the door, but wanted to talk to some senior technology people about how to get in the space or what I needed to show. Cause if the decision was, look, you got to go back and be an AE for a year and put up, you know, president's club numbers for anybody to put you into a sales leadership position in tech. I was willing to do it. I didn't want to go. Like I love, sales leadership. I love the training and, and coaching part of it. That's my biggest passion. But if I want if I, if it meant going to being a contributor again, whatever I was, I needed to be in tech. Mm-hmm. And then we chatted for 15 minutes. A lot of the stuff that they were doing here at vision critical was in line with things that I was pretty good at. Yep. So more sales skills training for the insides and getting proper structures in place and a lot of exciting stuff. And it just was the right fit and happened to be the company that I most wanted to go work for. And the work that, you know, the journey that we're on as a company to be more of a pure SaaS organization versus a consulting organization and be part of a change project. Mm -hmm. I love change. Change is always exciting for me and it breeds opportunity and uh, it breeds challenge. There's always interesting things to solve. So thought there was a good fit he invited me to come in to talk for an hour we talked for an hour he said what are you doing and I said nothing I got all the time <laughs> in the world for you and then uh, Mark invited me back to the office met a couple more people met he uh, I had lunch with he and the COO a couple days later and then they made a job basically the, the job I'm in now didn't didn't exist at the time I think they were kicking around the idea but uh, you know I just happened to show up at their door at the right right time with the right opportunity and I've been so excited about it ever since and you know I owe Mark a huge debt of gratitude because he took a chance on somebody who you know didn't have that technology stamp of approval on their resume although I've done some cool things in sales leadership yep uh yeah and we've been hustling hard ever since <laughs> so did you come in as like were there existing inside reps like or yeah were, yeah so there were and you came in to, to manage that team and build out the structure <clears throat> yeah and so we're undergoing a transformation from being a company that did 
a lot of market research consulting and had some really cool technology to moving more to we're a technology company and we have an amazing platform that should be used at the enterprise level yep. and we're going to treat ourselves like a true SaaS organization. Yep. So there's a big change going, uh, there was a big change that was happening in the organization and they changed the role of the inside a little bit and some of the previous insides weren't as fond of those changes even though it was really for the best of for everybody. Okay. Um, so I came into a fairly young team. I have some, I had some stars. I had yep. some people on the team that were, you know, tenured and awesome at what they do. And I also had a bunch of people who were, you know, three, four months into the job and it was going to be a training assignment. And then we've now added, so I think we, there might've been nine people when I started. Uh, we've got 15 now here in Toronto. Okay. And then I've got two guys in New York, three in Vancouver, and uh, some more overseas. So four in APAC and six in EMEA. Mm -hmm. And we're working on consistently improving our structure, making sure the right processes and systems are in place. So that's been really fun for me. I love to build. So getting to evaluate new sales tech and acceleration tools and all this stuff and build a framework that is going to best support the business has been one of my major projects Wicked. Over the last couple months, dude. Okay, let's dive into this. So, a uh, couple things on that because this is what, you know what I've been living you know for the last year. Or so there's a lot of and you're you're at a much bigger scale. Like that's you know twenty inside people. You know we're at like five or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, and I was you know the the first one. So I kind of had similar experience where I was you know getting to kind of pick a few of our um, tools. We you know I've used a whole bunch. I think you guys. I don't know what you guys use, but I've used, you know, Sendbloom, Sales Loft, to looked at, like, Datanize and all these different ones, yeah. right? So, um, I don't know how much you can talk about your stack, but, like, yeah. Yeah, lay, lay it on me to, you know, kind of, because you, you mentioned last time when we talked, there's some really cool, like, you know, dial tree software and some other yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah, and uh, I've always been a, a, I've always been passionate about technology, so I've mm-hmm. always had my finger on the pulse of, with sales technology yep. never being in a company that really supported that vision wholeheartedly like vision critical has yep. you know, we're we're wholeheartedly committed to building a world-class sales organization not just insides but inside outside and supporting with the tools and technology so i evaluated well over 20 technologies in the course of a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and was on, was doing, I was joking with somebody saying, you know, I'm getting everybody's demo stats up because <laughs> I was taking demos, demos with anybody who had something cool that could potentially offer us value and was doing sales demos till like eight at night every night yep. and ended up piecing together. So I also looked at what were the most important things because we can't do everything all at once and yep. There was just an article online today about sales acceleration confusion. So, yep. Um, looked at Sales Loft, Tout, uh, Send Bloom, Outreach, all that, and ended up choosing Sales Loft out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really liked Tout as well. I was, you know, very. I was going back and forth between the two, and and uh, ended up going with Sales Loft, and that's been a huge win for productivity and analytics and tracking are you using both prospector and cadence not prospector because we're actually going to pay for a list. better list tool so okay. we're going to we're moving forward with uh discover org okay. is the best one that i found we tested a bunch side to side you know 
Rain King, Zoom Info, uh, all your usual suspects. Yep. And so we're bringing in DiscoverOrg to uh, enrich our data and provide new sales information. And the biggest thing is I'm still a believer in the phone, no matter what. It's getting guys on the line. So uh, they had what I could consider the best quality of direct dials and, and information. Uh, and then the, the last one that we're, that we're bringing in in this sort of iteration is uh, Ambition. Okay. So it's in the gamification space, so a competitor of yeah, I've uh, seen that. Yeah, Level 11 and Hoopla. Yep. And so I thought Ambition had the coolest version of that because, and there's a Harvard Business Review article about them talking about how it's a, it's a synthesized score of everything a sales guy can do in a day. <laughs> so, you know, how productive, if you're only measuring on dials, somebody does 100 dials, but gets nothing out of it, how good of a day is that? Well, if somebody ha runs three demos, 10 dials, and gets an intro call out of it, well, how good of a day is that? And, and none of these other systems really gave me a quantifiable metric or, you know, I've got all my Salesforce dashboards that I've built and uh, will give me, you know, calls are here, activities are here, intros are there, discos are there, and this is, this is one number that basically shows how good of a day you had. Mm -hmm. And you make you know, weighted, uh, weighted statistics on, um, you know, a disco is worth it, or discovery calls worth this, an intro calls worth this, dials of that. So it's not in place yet. It's, it's, uh, we're working through the technology component of it, but yep. I just like the methodology of it the most. So that's the next thing. Um, and then the other, the, other th the big piece is you got to support it with tons of training. You got to have the right plan in place of how you're going to roll it out, how you're going to convince people that this is a great tool and induct induct them into it and give them the skills to actually use it productively. And so, luckily, I'm uh, I work with an awesome sales enablement team led by Melissa Maddian, hmm. who's former Eloquent Oracle, who I can't say enough good things about, but uh, they help with the training and the technology evaluation. One of her uh, people, Lauren, was you know essential in helping me evaluate all this stuff. So there's an awesome team dynamic here, and I've got so much support. So uh, that's like the critical component is we have a training plan, and we know what we're doing, and we're ready to support them with all of with everything they need to be as successful on these tools because it can be a lot. So how do you guys hook in with marketing automation then? One thing that we're kind of trying to figure out now is you know we just got Pardot right, so we've got Salesforce yeah. and Pardot, and obviously with Pardot that has nurture tracks and um, you know, I guess how does how do you see that overlapping? I guess with cadence or if not, like yeah. how, does, how does that work for you guys? So. In our Salesforce instance, anything that's in marketing nurture, anything that a sales person is not actively dealing with, either in actual sales prospecting, so what we call working, yep. or uh, in sort of a sales nurture pro process, we'll go back into marketing nurture and get all of the marketing stuff. Okay. And when we want to actively insert ourselves and make the decisions on what happens with that leads lead, then we'll bring it into our working stack and say, you know, I think this guy's almost there. I don't want to put, put him back into marketing nurture because it won't be as targeted. Yep. I want to send him some, some stuff every month. Yep. Then we'll work that in, in sales loft and in the sort of sales nurture process. Okay. So sales loft in my mind is very similar to what Marketo and Pardot do, but for the salesperson. Yep. 
and it's just a more manual, personalized process. So you actually have a person sitting there thinking, okay, based on what the last conversation with this person was, I think this person, this piece of content will resonate. And gotcha. you can build out you know, structures and templates and systems of what would be best practice. So you know, I know that after somebody says, yeah, maybe, but no, I want to check in with them in a month and give them a really cool piece of content. Maybe that piece of content is the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. Like our marketing team puts out some wicked stuff and talks about the importance of customer really centricity. Yeah. yeah, Or maybe it's something that comes up in that week that I'm supposed to send them something and it's industry relevant and it's topical. Maybe that's what I send. Yep. How are you guys, how are you coaching uh, your guys to use social uh, in the sales process? Because one of the biggest things I've found, I've had the most success, you know, getting, uh, getting leads to, to bite on that, you know, that first message through either Twitter or LinkedIn. And like, I mean, I've went, I went through the process of testing a lot of different things, you know, email first, call first, social first, and obviously all the different touch points, you yeah. know, in like a two week period or something like that. But I had by far my most success with, um, you know, with so using social first. So how do you guys view that, you know, as a team? So that's the million dollar question. <laughs> and, uh, uh, like we were talking about, I was down in Boston for, uh, a sales leadership conference, uh, American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. For anybody who wants to <laughs> do some learning, it's it's awesome. And that question came up a bunch of times. And everybody wants to know, okay, what's your best practice? What's your structure? What's your system? What what's your email template look like? How many calls? What's the stats? But ultimately, it changes business by business, and you mm-hmm. don't know unless you test. Mm-hmm. And even within some of our industries, CPG will will react very differently than finance versus tech. You know, a person in technology is going to be much more apt to respond to Twitter or LinkedIn than somebody who's yep. you know, a passive social media user in finance. And then we're talking generalities. So really it comes down to testing and it comes down to you don't know what this person's preferred communication method is until you try. Mm-hmm. So... You have to call and you have to email and you have to add on LinkedIn. You have to message them on LinkedIn. If they have Twitter, you should message them on Twitter. And you should use you know, very challenger-esque uh, messaging at some point in your process. And maybe something a little bit more personal and lighthearted. Mm-hmm. You know, the sales loft breakup email is something that's like whipped around in the inside sales community so much. And it's you know, actually really good. Um, and it's just about using all the tools at your disposal because... One guy is like, yeah, I never picked up, I never pick up a call I don't recognize. Some people say, you know, I never pick up a blocked call, and some people only pick up blocked calls because they can't resist the curiosity. <laughs> and it's just unless you unless you use all the tools, then you don't know what's the key to that that specific prospect. So, not exactly answering the social media component of that question, but it's a part. And yeah, some, for, sure. for some industries, yeah, I'm going to add and then I'm going to nurture through my LinkedIn content. But sometimes, at a, you know, if you're pitching VPs of Enterprise 1000, maybe that's not the right approach and you just got to get on the phone old-fashioned and get somebody on the line. And some of the time they pick up the call because they've seen your content yep. and they have a familiarity and they see Vision Critical pop up and they just, they don't know why, but they pick up the phone. As well, it's because they have this familiarity built through your through your nurture, 
through, or through your social media or yep. through the fact that you left them a voicemail so they know your voice and they hear you're not a scary sales guy. <laughs> T- tell me a little bit about that, uh, the dial tree software. Like what exactly, how does that work? Because you described it to me last time. Yeah, really so sick. it's not something we're using, but it's something I'm interested in testing. And I, I met the VP of sales there who's a guy who I've looked up to in the sales practice for a long time. Mm-hmm. So his name's Chad Burmeister, and he's like one of the AISP top inside sales leaders or uh, whatever their ranking is or their list is. Mm-hmm. And he has a company that they have, they have a dialing software that dials in to four, like four dials into oh, yeah. a company at the same time. And then it works the automated routing tree because they know the routing trees. And then they have an actual person, when it gets to somebody live, they have an actual person that will either uh, deal with an executive assistant and like not disposition that call to you or say it gets to the actual person you're talking to, you'll just get a screen pop and it'll be that person's name and uh, uh, you just have to start talking. Yeah, just go. So <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's I haven't tested it yet, but I just... I've, I've always see it's the company's connect and sell and there's a few other versions but connect and sell is the one I always hear about mm-hmm. and uh, it's one of those ones that's just very intriguing and I, I'm going to test at some point as soon as I've got the ability to for a guy who loves dials that sounds like it's right up your alley I know <laughs> I'm just trying to think of who you know who on the team is not going to be terrified by that proposition because <laughs> I love cold calling but you know just a screen pop and go <laughs> sounds fun to me but and I know I have some guys who are clamoring yeah yeah give me that <laughs> I'll pitch I'll pitch anybody <laughs> but not for everybody so let's talk a little bit about uh you know the the stuff you've learned from building the team because that's obviously a really interesting experience and we found you know having people keeping people motivated is a lot more difficult than you would think I mean I found from from running uh, a team with my previous startup and then even just being an employee at my current company and then seeing you know the employee psyche is a very interesting thing so I'd love if you could talk a little bit about kind of your best learning or some of the mistakes you made even on you know yeah. building a team so much to say on this topic yeah, I'm trying to figure course. out where to start but <laughs> I sound like a broken record but you got to go back and you just got to learn like I read Harvard Business Review articles all the time because there's so much good learning and you figure out stuff like I was just reading the other day this article about how the a, the good mood of a leader has and I can't remember the stats but has like a very statistically significant impact on the performance of his team yep and talks about the difference between being in a bad mood and a good mood on the psyche of the people around you and it's like oh yeah of course but at the same time how many times you really check yourself and you go in and it's rough day, bad weather, stepped mm-hmm. in a puddle and not put on a brave face. The other day was a funny example. I was not feeling that well. It was, I was on a call super late with APAC and then was doing email so late and then we got a new puppy so I didn't sleep at all that night <laughs> and was running like, you know, and I'm not a good morning person at all. I was just walking to work and I was like, all right, brave face, you know, like turn, turn it on. You're, you're not there for you. You're there for your people. And I just like put myself in the mood. I was like, you're in a good mood. Just like pretend like you're in a good mood and, and pretending to be in a good mood will actually put you in one. Yep. Then somebody said, like, God, you sound like you're, you're in such a good mood today. <laughs> and I laughed because I was like, I didn't sleep at all because of this friggin' puppy. And I'm just trying to be 
positive. And, and the thing is, you know, just reading constantly will give you that, that insight in terms of things you should watch out for. So you don't necessarily need to learn those hard lessons. But, you know, certainly being a constantly positive manager is huge. Um, it was only until recently that really the, the scientific research showed definitively that managing with positivity and encouragement and recognition is better than the sort of Gen X or 1980s version of high pressure, like maximum accountability and visibility model, scared, like scared straight almost. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, yeah, being a positive, enthusiastic leader is really key. Understanding that people are people, like you got to be able to put yourself like empathy. I think in a manager is the other like number two thing is you have to understand people are people. Everybody has their own things going on, and you need to appreciate that not everybody's like you. Not everybody has the same wants or goals and needs, and you got to manage to that. You know, if somebody wants to. Uh, have a great work-life balance, we'll then work together on figuring out how that person hits business goals and has a great work-life balance and you achieve that goal together. Yeah. Not everybody is like crazy money-hungry like we always want to think in sales. And so it's about understanding that people are people and respecting that and, and managing not you work for me and like this is my mentality, but managing people as they are. One of the biggest things I've found in terms of, you know, people having good respect for their managers is knowing, you know, that the inside, knowing that you are a fucking kick-ass guy at the job that they're doing, yeah. right? Like, you're, you, you can lead by example, and if you need to get on, you know, a call in front of everyone and kick ass, you can do that, no yeah. problem. You're, you know, the best guy at what everyone's doing, and that's why you're leading the team. So, like, is that some? how do you... I guess, um, you know, do you do that where you're kind of showing that uh, you're getting on, you know, big calls, closing the big, big deals? Like, how does that work? Uh, in your yeah, company? I'll hop on calls whenever people need it. It's, yeah. I love, I mean, I love selling. Yeah. And, and uh, so I'm always excited when people, you know, their account executive is busy and can't do the call. And they're like, hey, Kyle, do you have time? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and just because it's fun. And, and yeah, it's it's important to have come from, good sales pedigree and have have performed in the sales world before um, yeah it goes a long way to, to, to making people believe I'm also big in the I, I also really think that you just need to care yeah like so much of the time that language and I've seen I probably made that mistake as a young manager and I saw young managers that I promoted make that mistake just chest thumping and just saying like, I did this and this is what I said and you know, this is how it's supposed to go and and people are like, well, I'm not you. I haven't been in sales for eight years. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just learning. And, and so I think more importantly than you know, thumping your chest and showing people that you've done it and you know how to do it is sitting down and working with somebody okay, like, let's figure this out together and explaining the why. Uh, but yeah, certainly helps to have like elite sales success in the past. Yeah. Not every sales leader is going to have that necessarily. And you can get just as good results and, and still uh, just by getting in there and showing people that you care. Sure. Like, more than, I, like servant leadership is the best way to, to say it. I think it was Daniel Coleman uh, who wrote the book on servant leadership. Or maybe I'm confusing it. But anyways... It's just about 
having that mentality like you're here to to help your people they're not here to do your bidding and the faster you can make that that switch in your mind the easier your life will become because uh, you know you take a guy who was a president's club quota crushing guy and you make him coach up a bunch of guys who are you know 90% are not going to be him 90% of the people aren't going to be elite talents Mm -hmm. and you know ask that person to to coach up this group it's more important to get in there and and work with people and, and lead by example and uh show them that you care versus dumping chests because people just don't believe they're like well i don't i wasn't born with what you were born with so maybe i can't do this right how do you guys structure your meetings internally that's one thing again that we've struggled with where you know we're doing team stand-ups at different times and trying to figure out you know what the balance is between you know not meeting too much but still you know having the good knowledge transfer like what's kind of the the cadence of meetings that you guys do like from stand-ups and that type of thing yeah I would say that I would like to experiment more with it and I'd Mm -hmm. love to get more opinions from other people on it but what I find we do here is actually really effective and I hate death by a thousand meetings yeah not my style yeah but every morning 8 30 we have fire drill and we're going to talk about something and it's always a combination of shout outs metrics review so yep. how do we do the previous day what's the week looking like you know do we need to buckle down and have a crazy uh focused day or is mm-hmm. it like you know things are going well keep it up guys so but always a review of of what's happened numbers wise because okay. in sales you have to be relentlessly numbers focused and then whatever has come i just have a notepad beside me whatever comes up the day before that's a learning or something that we want to highlight then speaking to that a bit So as much as I can, I want to highlight other people. So, Hey, I heard you say this on the phone. Like, tell us about that. And what did you say? And how did you get this cool result? So that's always good. And especially, you know, people are probably pretty sick of my voice, (laughs) you know, running training and running fire drill. So as much as we can get other people participating and getting new views and, and doing that. So we've talked a lot of recently about prospecting with posture and, uh, we talked a little bit before this now selling in a much more digital age, you're not getting hung up on all the time and learning to develop assertiveness. So you need to train assertiveness into people, you know, persistent, pleasant persistence. Yep. We can say, so we've been spending a lot of time talking about highlighting success stories of this guy said no. And then I insisted. And then he said yes. And he was really happy that I did mm-hmm. or you know, any sort of instance that, 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 uh, gives credence to the lesson you're trying to to impart on people over the course and you know we've been focused on this for two weeks yep. and it's whatever you can call it campaign we're on or whatever you know learning module we want to focus on we'll do that every morning in fire drill um, you know we had a big day yesterday so we just wanted to highlight the success stories and that was the whole meeting you know tell us about this deal how'd you do it what was a cool story um, the Two weeks before this sort of assertiveness push was all about questioning, how to answer, ask great questions and you know, get people to throw out ideas. So that's a really key thing for us is our morning fire drill. And then, you know, there's weekly training on whatever it is. You know, there's new stuff every week and there's limitless things you can do training on, but as long as training's always happening mm-hmm. and, you know, as coaching as much as possible, uh, that's the thing with, uh, that is a really big differentiator of sales organizations, how much time you're really spending one-on-one coaching. Yep. 
and uh, you can always do more, for sure. So do you do you have like you're the director of inside sales? Do you have like managers of inside sales who help you as well, or how does it is it? Not as of right now. I'm managing a pretty big group, uh, but designing a structure and a system to to get the results out of everybody. But right now, everybody rolls up into me, but they all have an AE that they work for, and the AE that they work with, that's like their client, is you know they're basically their one-on-one coach as well that they sit beside and is constantly giving them feedback. So. There's a ton of support. You know, we're really lucky to be in a super collaborative, helpful company yep. that, you know, the your outside is never too busy for you closing deals and the, the inside that sits across from you is never is always willing to give a helping hand. And I have the sales enablement team that's uh, indispensable that does training and all sorts of stuff as well. Do they help you align with, like, you know, the, the collateral that you guys are sending out kind of across... Uh, you know, you know, all your cadences and that type of thing is sales and because I think a sales enablement is like, you know, the the marketing sales alignment thing, right? But they also do training for you guys as well. Uh, it's a different function for us. So it's okay. it's training tools and processes. Okay. And you know, I'm I work really closely with them and some stuff I'll take the lead on that's process or systems, some mm-hmm. stuff they'll do for us, they'll run you know, their own training modules, I'll run certain training modules, but we're always in contact about like what's getting done and what do we want to focus on? Um, there's not hard lines in, in our organization in a lot of cases. You know, enable I do stuff that might be under the enablement realm, and they do stuff that might be under my realm, and everybody's just driving at the same goal. goal world-class sales organization. We want to be the best sales team Amazing. in the business. So Love that. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, just two more questions, really. I wanted to get a little bit of sense of... Um, your kind of how you stay productive right that's a kind of a key theme that uh you know i've personally been passionate about just trying to figure out you know how to optimize my life a little bit not to sound cliche but you know really um trying to you know be a little bit happier more productive and different things like that so um, like do you have any specific kind of morning routines that you stick to or anything that really you know helps you stay uh, on point well when you say happy, I'm not the work-life balance guy to ask about that. <laughs> I love selling. Like, work-life yeah. balance is great. Yeah, it's balanced. I love selling, and that's what I do for work, so I'm yep. balanced. <laughs> uh, and in terms of productivity, so it's funny because uh, we just did a, a profile of all of the salespeople in the Toronto office through a, co- a Toronto company called ClearFit, which is another yep. really cool company. Um, and my profile came back, and I'm like extreme on, you know, uh, I'm very comfortable with change, I'm innovative, I'm this and that, and then you look at organization, it's like the lowest score you could get. (laughs) And then you look at, you know, preference for structure, and it's like really low. I love designing structure, and I'm a big process and systems guy, Mm -hmm. but I don't terribly like operating in bureaucracy. So take whatever I say on the organization (laughs) side with a little bit of grain of salt, because... But at the same time, I'm a good guy to ask about that because I naturally am not organized. Like my girlfriend will ask me to pick up, she asked me to pick up cheese tonight, and, and <laughs> I probably would have forgotten had I not been telling the story. But like you can tell me something and I forget it instantly. But I put everything in my Outlook, 
everything that I need to do. So if I'm like, oh, I need to do that, I block in the 15 minutes in my calendar of where I'm going to do that. Or if I'm going to be doing, you know, if, if somebody will come by and be like, hey, Kyle, can you, uh, uh, can you help me with some like wording for co- some content? I'd be like, yep, send me an invite for 20 minutes or however long it's going to take and we'll do it. Because if you tell me that as I'm walking by my desk, I will forget it immediately. <laughs> so I think being honest with yourself and understanding what your tendencies are is the starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I don't, I'm not naturally organized or I, I, I just naturally focus on whatever is important or, or urgent. I forget the little things, but then using a tool. And for me, it's, it's outlook and it's my phone mm-hmm. it has to go everywhere so that I get the <laughs> notification of where I need to be next Yep. and just have it like building yourself a structure that works for you. And like some people don't like outlook and then, they don't do the thing that was in Outlook because they were doing something else and they didn't have their phone, so that doesn't work for them. But you need something. Sure. How do you find time to read? And uh, that's the next thing is we want to get you know a couple of your best book recommendations. But that's really the you know one thing everyone in the entrepreneurial spirit says that that's you know the most important thing you can do right is, yeah. is reading and always be learning. And that's I'm trying to find my routine for uh, you know it's. I've started listening to audiobooks every day when I walk to work in the morning, when I'm yeah. cooking, like that type of thing. Like, how do yeah. you, how do you, how do you find time to read? That's the exact one. And I always, I always get teased because I say I read all these books and I've read none of them. <laughs> I listen on, I listen to the audiobook and I take notes on my, I have a notepad on my iPhone that yep. I take notes in, and I have hard copies of the books and I'll read a little bit, like when I'm at the cottage when mm-hmm. I'm sitting that's the only time I'm really going to sit down and read, but yeah, audiobooks are key. Yep. And, uh, anytime I'm like, first thing I do, I get up in the morning, throw on the Bluetooth speaker that's in my shower, throw on whatever's on my iPhone at the time, mm-hmm. probably too much of the time in sports podcasts. But, <laughs> but when I'm on point, it's, it's, you know, that's, that's like a whole 45 minute window that you can get through a chunk of an audiobook And then on your walk to work, your walk back, when I'm not so busy and I can actually get in the gym every time I'm lifting weights, I'm, I'm listening to audiobooks and you, you'd be surprised by how quickly you can churn through books. If you fill up all of that wasted time in your day, just by having a speaker on in the, in the bedroom or the shower or your headphones in, you know, people, they're like, why do you listen to audiobooks when you lift weights? It's got to be the weirdest <laughs> thing. They need pump up music. But for me, it's like, that's such a great use of time for that, that period. That's a wrap on our 12th episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. It's crazy these episodes are going by really quickly, but uh, I think this was one of the best ones yet. Make sure to follow Kyle on Twitter and definitely check out his book recommendations because he has a bunch of them and uh, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And if you enjoyed this episode, take a minute and subscribe to the Hunter and Craft community. We've got a lot of great content coming down the pipe and we're really trying to connect with as many like-minded people as possible. So keep in touch with us and we promise you won't be disappointed. Until next time, take care guys.